0: Welcome on to our first post-All-Star break, 15 and 60. going to be a fun one here on the West. We are going to actually save the Warriors and most of the Mavs for tomorrow because we're actually going to that game later today. Where are we starting here, Danny? Do we, we, should we just start at the beginning? I guess we could talk about that Dallas-Utah game from Friday night.
1: Well, we could talk about that in the Jazz section. That's probably. We could just get to it then. Okay,
0: um, well, so so maybe we should start with the Jazz then.
1: Oh, <laughs> well, I was gonna say we could start with Denver. Um, but, no, no, I re-
0: but I really wanted you to have to start, but that's okay. Okay, I that's
1: fine. Say. Then I then I will. Um, so we'll we'll skip the Mavs. We'll skip the Mavs stats for now because we'll talk. But we're going to talk about them tomorrow. We'll, we'll talk about it a little bit. The Utah Jazz on the season they are 37 and 22, eight and eight since the last 1560. That includes some of the Gobertless slide, and then and then after that they they are second in net rating, plus 7.7. 7. Interestingly, they've been eight and eight, but they didn't drop rankings wise in offensive rating. They got lower, but they didn't drop in that, and they actually improved in defensive rating. They went up to a 109.7, which is tenth in the NBA. But that slide moved them to the projected 538 Raptor model, projected to fourth in the Western Conference with 52 wins. Of course, they're still going to make the playoffs. And I was planning on watching it live. I got sucked into the, which will come up later, the glorious nonsense of OKC Indiana and Spurs whiz, which both went into overtime around the same time. Yeah. But that, but so I watched Mavs Jazz after the fact, which I actually think was really kind of, was in some ways made it better because I was able to really, really zone in on it. And I, I thought it was a a fascinating game. There will, of course, be, generate a lot of attention for the ending when Luca kept on trying to isolate on Rudy Gobert. And broadly speaking, that did not go particularly well for the Mavs. Mavericks. And I thought that broadly speaking, this game gave some, it gave some ammunition to like the positives and the negatives for both of these teams. For the positives for Dallas, when their support players were hitting threes, and in this game that included Davis Bertans, it looked pretty good. Like they were able to, they were able to get some good offense, even against, you know, a a capable defense when Rudy Gobert is playing. And then for Utah, especially in the early going and then in a run they had in the fourth quarter, the quality of passing and the Shots they were getting was really impressive, and so Utah that ball movement they were creating an advantage, getting a good shot. Utah had 31 points in the first quarter, and then 29 in the second, and then 29 in the third, which is when they kind of started looked like they were going to establish a lead. And this one, they uh, Donovan Mitchell. We were wondering about whether he was going to be available because he missed the All Star game with an upper respiratory illness. He did play, and he was he was dominant offensively when he was out there. 33 points, 11 and 19 from the field. Originally it was making some threes. He had had three threes in the first in the first little run and then he had seven to 12 overall in the game which was ridiculous and conley had it going at times he had some nice flow with gobert and then corkson he he struggled early i was i have some notes in there critical of him but then i thought he found a groove a little bit later in the game so you've got to see some of those positive for utah when their offense is working and their their defense is is definitely capable even if it's very heliocentric defense i so something we're focusing more on the jazz here but something that i thought was really striking in this game Utah you know they do what they can you know stopping teams trying trying to stop teams for drill penetration but Luka Doncic just passing to the opposite corner we did you know we did a whole podcast on best passers in the league and like his passing to the opposite corner he was just finding dudes it was really really impressive and when that was Reggie Bullock he was three of seven when that was Davis Bertans I thought it well. You know, Bertan's went wild in the first half of this game. He ended up seventeen points, five of eight. He took eight threes in nineteen minutes, which was pretty glorious. And when it worked, it worked really, really well. I thought that the I thought that the Mavericks were generating really good shots during a lot of that. But that made Utah and Dallas, like Dallas's offense, stifling late. So much more striking is that it wasn't stifled It wasn't stifled early.
0: Well, and of course, the way that they did that was with more switching, getting yes. Rudy Gobert. On to Luka Doncic. Luka did hit a step back on him with about three minutes to go, but then Gobert was able to stop him, and I actually just happened to be passing through Salt Lake City that night. I didn't get in in time to go to the game, but I was able to meet up with Hollinger, who's in town, and David Locke afterwards, and I was able to catch up on the game a little bit before that, and... I was saying, hey, you know what, like Rudy Gobert might be the player I would most want guarding Luka Doncic in an isolation on the entire Jazz team. Now, would you rather have Rudy Gobert guarding him with the Jazz crappy help defenders behind him Or would you rather have someone else guarding in an ISO with Rudy Gobert behind behind them? But you don't really have that option because then they'll just go into a pick and roll. And so uh, now the NBA's last two minute report did say that Luca got fouled on the last play that he he was really upset about, where he drove Gobert, pulled it back faked the step back from the foul line and then drove past him they said that gobert got an arm out of him and that should have been a foul i didn't think it was like that obvious of a call i agree in real time um
1: well and and part of yeah. the reason why gobert works on Luke. and we were talking about that idea part of it is that the jazz don't have that many good one-on-one defenders royce o'neill can be all right but gobert can do it but the other part of it is that luca is very adept at changing speeds he has he can use deceleration better than most guys in the league but his acceleration is very rarely so explosive that he's going to leave Gobert in the dust and because Gobert is so goddamn long, Gobert was, there were times where he got behind, like maybe like you would think of it as a half step behind Luca, but that's not enough to get a ball past Rudy Gobert and so and Luca is doing a lot of the like trying to get contact and it reminded me of years ago, you and I talked about how Kevin Durant was actually a pretty good defender for James Harden because he could Harden could get into Durant's body and Durant would still have enough arm to Block the shot. And that's sort of what was happening at times with Gobert and with Luka. And Doncic was trying to like draw those fouls, and you're not going to get those fouls as much late. And Gobert was conceding position, but he wasn't conceding so much position that he was out of control. So I thought, I thought Rudy looked good. Great.
0: No, I, I agree. And, you know, again, his defense in isolation was not the problem against the, the Clippers last year either. Yeah.
1: And, it, when, and this... when it was, it was against a different kind of player, you know, Terrence Mann, straight line drives that kind of thing and Reggie Jackson had some real trouble like gave him some real trouble but those players aren't trying to do what Luke is trying to do
0: so the Jazz second unit is really interesting to me now I mean they they've got Rudy Gay is out still Trent Forrest Eric Paschal Daniel House White Whiteside. It's really a totally different group, and they do try to intersperse Mike Conley and Mitchell with some of these groups. But it's a little bit more athletic of a group, not as much shooting. What did you make of some of those guys and how they might be able to fit in to uh, the Jazz playoff rotation based on this one?
1: I like Daniel House within the Jazz system. The idea of you know the the churn and getting getting a good shot or just kind of a more basic set of decisions for him as opposed to. Like create something. like That's not been Daniel House's strength over the last couple of years. I like that he got to the free throw line a couple of times. Cla- My frustration was primarily in, there was a stretch of minutes, I think it was in the second quarter, might have been the late, and then I, I think it was the late first and the late third, where the standard wrecking crew is Gobert, Connolly, you know, especially when they're going against backup units, nobody can really defend that group and you can do, a, the Jazz can do a good enough job defensively because they're mostly running against limited groups there. And there was a stretch I think it was in the first, where it was those two, but Jordan Clarkson was out there as well. And part of the theory there, especially with Rudy Gobert unavailable, is okay, it's another guy who could create in case they're doing something on the primary action. But the problem is Jordan Clarkson isn't just a low usage shooter out there. He's going to think he wants to take some possessions. And so there were these, there was a stretch of like three possessions in a row where Clarkson had the ball. It never really got into Connolly's hands, and bad things happened. You know, like a tough contested shot or a turnover. And I'm just, I'm going ballistic watching the watching the game and just being like, you have better players out there do it but then later on Clarkson got hot he hit a couple shots and so it looked better so I think it's a challenge for Quinn Snyder to get the ecosystem right the, the the player combinations perfectly but I do I do think that they have a lot of talent that said I mean they're missing Joe Ingles but Joe Ingles wasn't an option like some of what the you know the change arounds were necessary because he wasn't gonna be out there and I like Trent Forrest conceptually but I do wonder where you're gonna fit him in if you want to stagger Connolly and Mitchell which I think is the imperative like that's the more important thing to do.
0: Yeah, last thing I, on the jazz here, Forrest is still on a two-way. I imagine that they're going to want him to join the regular roster. However, they do have a roster spot. I'm guessing that they, due to their tax concerns, that they are just going to hold off until relatively late in the year before converting him. But this is one where, I mean, we'll see. Maybe Trent Forrest will actually have a little bit of leverage. It usually doesn't end up working out that way, though.
1: It usually doesn't, no.
0: Let's get to the Denver Nuggets, 35-25. and 25. They are 13-5 since we last checked in on them 2.0 net rating is 12th in the nba the 8th ranked offense 14th ranked defense they project for the fifth seed right now with 50 wins they will be making the playoffs and we talked about Nikola jokic and some of the great numbers behind him how good he's been but some of their support guys, have, I think, are having underratedly good seasons in part, I think, because Jokic sets them up, of course. But, for example, Monte Morris, I think, is that was a contract where, like, all right, he's a backup point guard. You know, is it really worth paying him around $10 million per season? Does that make sense? And, well, hey. If you know that Jamal Murray is going to be out, yes, it certainly is the case. And, you know, Monte Morris has one of the best net ratings and on off differentials in the league. Part of that's because he plays with Nikola Jokic, but he also has been a a really solid option for them. And 58% true shooting for a point guard is very, very solid. He's able to do enough off the pick and roll that he can set up Jokic every once in a while. He gets Jokic the ball in good spots, is all one of the things that struck me. We're going to talk about. Their game against Sacramento momentarily is just how good of a cutter Jokic is. And it, Morris is able to find him on some of those plays where, uh kind of almost, I mean, Jokic is not exactly like, you know, putting his foot in the ground and like creating separation or anything, but he can kind of, he does similar types of cuts to like what Devin Booker would do uh, a couple of years ago. He hasn't done as much of it this year where he's kind of faking like he's going to post up and the guy, there's Sabonis guarding him in this Kings game, will be like, like, oh well, he's this massive guy. I better like start fighting him for post position. I better lean on him. And then Jokic will just cut right across the guy's face for a layup rather than just like trying to slam into him to get post position. And so just you know, Jokic will get the ball on the move two or three times a game. And that's one of the things that just makes him really hard to guard is that they're getting in the ball in space, either off of pick and pops or moving off the ball, coming off a screen. You know, they run a lot of old school kind of NBA sets with like wedge screens and cross screens to get him the ball as well. And so It's not just, oh, hey, can you defend this guy one-on-one? or not it's you have to guard him as part of the team concept so I really like the way that Denver's offense has worked you know Mike Malone probably doesn't get enough credit for what they do to get Jokic the ball particularly when you know everyone knows that it's going to him
1: right and a lot of the the Nuggets bigs and and bigs typically have higher true shooting because they're taking more shots from the basket and they're taking fewer away but like Aaron Gordon 60% true shooting this year Jeff Green 61 Jermichael Green 57s Zeke Nagy, 65 and Naji's playing less with Jokic I believe than the other guys are and so you have that and then some of their guards are, are below average but they're also below average like offensive players like Facundo Capazzo being below 55% he's at 53 not a huge surprise
0: yeah so this game against Sacramento I was also struck by how Bryn Forbes has really provided an element for this Nuggets team that they haven't really had you know obviously Jamal Murray is a good movement shooter but he he's going to be one of the primary attackers and Michael Porter Jr. can get open off the ball but he just doesn't really move the way that Bryn Forbes does he's not just a shooting specialist as well and so Forbes that was a nice trade by the Nuggets like he's actually giving them some minutes he's been able to push compazzo who has one of the worst uh, on off differentials in the league as many nuggets bench players do uh again the, this dichotomy is just absolutely crazy between their starters and their bench but you know to push compazzo and rivers into roles that are maybe a little bit more appropriate and the nuggets being totally healthy now outside of murray and porter i, I think has really helped them go on this run but forbes he is three percent higher usage than he's ever had in his career which is actually continuing from when he was in san antonio as well and you know, whether it's mid-rangers getting some screens or just a guy who's going to get guard. I mean, let's not forget he had very little demand, but he won a game for Milwaukee in that Miami series where he just went completely off. And so, Certainly during the regular season, I think he is a, a nice pair to give them some kinds of plays to run on the second unit, but also, of course, pairs pretty well with, with Jokic, so I, I was and, and impressed by that.
1: That was something striking about this game. You watched it, and I did not. The general story for the Denver Nuggets this year has been, you know, they're very good when Jokic is on and get demolished when he's off. In this game, the Kings starters were all in the positive, other than Harcliffe, it who had an even plus minus, and the Nuggets starters were on the negative. But They were, quote unquote, Saved by their bench.
0: Yeah, it was really interesting. The Kings roar back late in the third to tie it after being down most of the way. And then the Nuggets go on 5-0 and 6-0 runs right at the end of the third, beginning of the fourth, with the bench groups that caused Gentry to have to come back with Demontis Sabonis and De'Aaron Fox much earlier than he probably would have liked to. But that was they were not able to stanch the bleeding. And one of as we transition to the Kings here, we'll get their stats in a second. But one of the things that really struck me about that stretch when they brought Fox and Sabonis back in they are running everything through Sabonis Sabonis is now since he's been in Sacramento obviously a small sample but they're going right back to using him at the elbows his averaging 5.7 assists per game remember Rick Carlisle had really minimized that his usage was down as well as efficiency was way up so far this year he'd been more of a play finisher than he had been before they're running everything through him they're doing handoffs to Holiday or Mitchell or Fox in theory they don't really have like the a guy who plays great off of handoffs with Sabonis though Sabonis had a very nice offensive game this one but i thought Fox was, they brought him back in the game to kind of standish the bleeding, and he just did absolutely nothing over this four or five minute period, like wasn't really running any pick and rolls, just really looked disengaged in the game at a point where it was slipping away, and you'd think that, you know, they've really invested in Fox now, and the first couple of games, he looked pretty good, but this one, I thought, especially during the critical moment of the game, there were a lot of comments about this, of just how he really just was not getting the ball, was not attacking, just really wasn't a part of, of what they're trying to do in the critical stretch, um,
1: and and actually, so I'll 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 start with this. I'll get to the King stats just so we don't forget them. Sacramento, yeah. twenty two and forty on the season, a dispiriting four and twelve since the last fifteen and sixty. Twenty sixth, the net rating negative six. And yet again, that's fueled by their defense. They're 29th in defense. So better than 30th, but 29th. They're 23rd in offense and 538's model projects them to finish with the Raptor model with 30 wins, which is 13th in the conference. That would actually be five wins short of the play right now, um, you know, and then uh, their odds of uh, making the play off. So getting into the final eight, both 538 models have that below 1%. And I wanted to kind of have throw two ideas out there. We can get back to the game if you want to, um, but two ideas kind of before we we do um jared dubin and i I had him on real gm radio we talked on we talked on saturday about or friday about how sacramento might have kind of in a weird way been a victim of circumstance where the 10 seed being so attainable relative to where we expected made them think they were more in it and you know if they play well they could still be they're not that far out but so but if they were the same level quality of team and it was closer to 500 like we thought it was going to be then you don't push and maybe Savonis works out long term maybe it wasn't as much of a short. short-term move who knows but that Uh, i i
0: I think it was a short-term
1: and then the other part of it is (laughs) you and i were very excited that uh that first game we did it for the uh we did it for the pod they the king the first game after the trade kings beat the wolves 132 119 they then won the next game against the wizards and then since then they've lost four straight two like two of those were to the nuggets in a home road home roads split but then they also lost the, the worst one was the first one which was they got beat pretty handily by the brooklyn nets in brooklyn with no kd no Harden, no, no anybody Kyrie. yeah <laughs> yeah like that a- that a- the, no the was that game was 109 85 um and brooklyn without all without all their main dudes
0: yeah um just uh, i've watched two full games of theirs now out of i think the six that savonis has played and they just they don't look any better like their defense isn't better that's not a big surprise Sabonis is not a great defensive player he had a couple of blocks in this game but he was also getting lit up a uh, on drives to the basket pretty badly he he was fantastic on the offensive end but offense hasn't really been the problem for this king's team And he had Sabonis had 33 points and five assists and, and really went to work in the restricted area where he was eight out of ten and, and had, had a couple of hook shots as well but i just don't think that they're that much better right it, and, and the whole idea of this is you're trading a guy with six more years likely of team control for a guy with two more years of team control and the point of that is to get better now and so he's Said, well hey they're like is that really worth it to get better now but i'm not even sure that they did honestly get that much better now it's early returns of course but I mean, like to get blown out at home by 18 by this Nuggets team, which is a solid team. But, you know, if you're really a team that's like, you know, an eighth seed quality team going up against a team like Denver, you should be either be neutral or slightly favored. And they were just completely outclassed, particularly uh, on the offensive end or, or, or their defensive end, Denver's offensive end in this game. A couple of other small notes. I did like what Damian Jones is able to do moving his feet on switches. Uh, You know, he's not as jumpy as he was early in his career seems to have finally kind of figured that out I haven't really heard anything about a Rashawn Holmes injury we had that report that we talked about on the news last week uh, that he might get traded during yeah the off-season. he hasn't
1: played but I haven't heard like
0: yeah I mean I think Damian Jones might just be ahead of him in the rotation And yeah I, I'd be the first to admit that Rashawn Holmes hasn't played to his capabilities but uh I think just totally taking him out of the rotation that's that's something um I, I still think he's better than Damian oh so Jones. they're
1: saying it was back soreness
0: ah okay all right thanks yeah I I, I looked it up and i didn't see that at the time but you know we'll see I no i didn't what i think james
1: ham's thing didn't have a i don't recall it having and having a justification but okay. yeah
0: now now the kings i mean they do have dante divincenzo who i thought actually looked pretty decent he's gonna have to find a way to get into a role their lineup with mitchell divincenzo fox barnes and sabonis was An interesting one that might be their best group, I would guess, going forward. Um, also, uh, Trey Lyles is now on this team and he supplanted Shimezi Metu in this game. The Kings still have Alex Len on this team as well. And yeah, it was, uh, it is listed actually a box boxer as a back injury for Holmes. So I, I, you know, I do think that they're gonna have to make up for their lack of defensive presence on the interior. I, I would say Barnes too is, you know, a sturdy ish defender at the four, but he doesn't really provide any kind of help defense by having great guard defense and maybe DiVincenzo and Mitchell can do that Mitchell has been extremely inconsistent I mentioned the game that we saw him in person against the Warriors last month he really dominated this game he was I thought he was way off in all respects except for drawing bullshit offensive fouls of which he drew three in about a five minute span all of which were just total acting jobs uh, but he was oh four from three three of ten from the field with just some really bad Bad misses as well, just off the heel of the room, way off to the side, not even close type of stuff. He also got back cut twice by Morris late in the third early in the fourth as the nuggets were making their run he definitely can be prone to that off the ball although he's you know still remains a just ridiculously good on ball defender and almost never gets beat in any kind of an iso situation he just operates in front of the guy with his chest and he can draw some offensive fouls there too uh last thing I can talk about here the Kings announcers were complaining about Nikola Jokic getting too many calls and he at that point in time he was like four of six from the foul line <laughs> it was just just like really this is this is what you're choosing to complain about here and yeah that it, it was just this is also a very high-paced game as well Kings turned it over a ton Jokic had four steals and Gordon had three it was a total of 12 steals for the Nuggets so it, although there weren't that many points off turnovers for the Nuggets that really hurt the Kings overall efficiency but yeah I mean these guys are now 22 and 40 I mean that's just like and, and they are desperately trying for the play-in. Anyone who's seen our YouTube videos knows that I don't wear formal stuff all the time. So when it's time to dress up rather than dress down, I highly recommend Inochino. They were the official outfitter of my wedding. I got my tux from there. All my groomsmen got their sport jackets. From there as well, I felt really good about having them be the outfit of my wedding because all of my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly because when you go somewhere else, you're not going to get something that's made for you. So why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you. And not only does Indochino have the suits that made them famous, but now they've got everything. Blazer, pants women's wear, outerwear designed and made for you hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from european wools linen uh, who do you actually favor to get that last play in spot new orleans right. yeah it's it's got to be New yeah. right they're
1: we'll, they're we'll they're playing, playing the best they now have the best oh they're technically behind the blazers for best record of that group so, no i i Not i feel fine. I would, if I had to handicap it, I'd say New Orleans one, San Antonio two, Sacramento three, Portland four.
0: Yeah, Portland is definitely not trying for it. (laughs) Well, do you want
1: do you want to go to Portland just so I can do my trivia game with you?
0: Oh yeah, yeah, I would love to do this actually. Why not?
1: Okay, so I was this this is what happened.
0: Well, let me let me get their stats in here first. Oh sure. 25 and 35, 8 and 10 since the last 15 and 60. As we mentioned previously, Yusuf Nurkic is out a month. Negative 3.8 net rating. That's 25th in the NBA. So they they really have outperformed their point differential. They were one of the best offenses early, even with Dame not playing that well. But now they're all the way down to 19th. 28th on defense, projecting for 32 wins. 2% chance of the playoffs per Raptor. 4% per ELO. That 32 wins put them 12th in the conference. What do we got here? Let's, okay. I'm going to hear this trivia question.
1: Okay. I actually have two of them, but we'll start We'll start with the first one because they feed into each other. There are seven members of the Portland Trailblazers 15-man roster with with fully guaranteed contracts for next season. <laughs> How many of them can you name?
0: Fully guaranteed contracts for next season. Damian Lillard. Yep. Justice Winslow. Yep. Nasir Little. Yep. Greg Brown. Yep. Was that four? That's four. Oh, man.
1: Keon hard. Johnson. That's five.
0: Oh, God. I'm so... I'm like... my. My hand is moving towards my mouse as I'm like desperately trying to not cheat and look at my spreadsheet. <laughs> I don't think CJ Elby is guaranteed for next year. He is year. not. Nurkic is a free agent.
1: Mm-hmm. It's hard because he hasn't played in a game with the Blazers and might not ever. I think he will one of them the other one will the other one's playing for them now but in a smaller role okay yeah, i'll give you simon's
0: that. is a restricted free agent so he not has. him
1: yeah they're deep cuts okay so Didi lozada <laughs> is guaranteed Didi lozada wow guaranteed yeah. for next year and then the other one is uh trenton watford got guaranteed got fully guaranteed oh yeah yeah year, okay yeah he, he
0: just got converted yeah we yeah. talked about that okay.
1: okay so that's the first trivia question here's the <laughs> bonus trivia question okay. how many of those seven will make more money next year than the stretched amount that they have on the books for Andrew Nicholson
0: okay so I think that stretched amount is 2.8 million is that right that
1: is correct yeah
0: now now we're getting into the memory that I that I'm good at here so obviously Dame Keon Johnson is probably like right on the borderline to make more than 2.8 million Watford is a no Luzada is a no I'm gonna say three of them
1: right on the money
0: yes yeah, Winslow so, is, so is like currently 4
1: Andrew Nicholson is the fourth highest paid Portland Trailblazer for next year. Um, yeah, they actually, actually don't have that
0: much cap space.
1: Technically, Bledsoe yeah. is fi- is fourth, but anyway, um, yeah,
0: yeah, and, yeah he of course is not yeah. fully guaranteed for
1: yeah. next year. And then the other, um, the other kind of piece of minutiae for the tra- Portland Trailblazers is that their playoff odds, the per the, the Raptor model ones, went from 23% to 2% since the last 15 and 60 we did at the Western Conference. Yeah. I mean, 20-23% wasn't great, and that's what they should have done. Like, this. This is the i'm not criticizing joe cronin i'm not criticizing the front office this is what they should do um yeah um
0: and, so who the hell is even like what is this rotation even i mean they got completely housed by the warriors in what i believe is their only game that they've played it, since the it, break. it
1: is it is their only game and it looked like things were things were going okay for the blazers early it was in portland and then they just the the warriors ran roughshod over them i think starting in the second quarter and the rotation for that game chauncey billups started anthony simon's CJ LB, Josh Hart, Justice Winslow at the four and Drew Eubanks, who's on a 10 day contract, which led to Kevin Pelton's favorite stat that it was that uh, because of Gary Payton, it was the first time that Oregon State players have started against each other since like the 90s. Um, And then the remainder of their rotation was Trenton Watford, Ben McElmore, Greg Brown, Keon Johnson and Keljan Blevins um they did have other guys come in in garbage but that's a little bit different justice winslow 25 percent on 53 three-pointers this year um so this year total between the clippers and the blazers but he has been better since he got to portland albeit and of course an incredibly small sample size but you looked at keon johnson That, that was his first game he had been dealing with an ankle sprain he made his debut against the warriors
0: yeah and obviously you know he was one of five with two turnovers and got fouled once this is just a very early look at him but i was the impressed by a few things i mean number one his jumper is not amazing he didn't make any of them but he it like his form looks fine to me uh, recall that kind of his profile is really good athlete particularly off of two feet plays hard but doesn't necessarily make a ton of plays defensively but what i was actually impressed by he was being guarded by jonathan kaminga at the end of the first quarter he got pretty good separation against him to get a jumper off and then right at the end of the quarter just blew by him rejecting the screen got all the way to the rim and then wasn't able to finish over he probably should have been able to finish o- over clay thompson's contest missed, missed the layup pretty badly there had another really nice drive though where he put his man in the mix in semi-transition got to the rim beautiful spin move and finish off of one foot so the biggest thing i thought the jumper looked okay just form wise he's never really been able to hit it obviously and then what really was more impressive to me is just how he seems to have improved his handle and really looked like he's going to be able to get to the basket a little bit. And I think his finishing, he's going to have to improve his feel. Like a lot of guys like that, they kind of, you know, their numbers finishing up the rim can usually be pretty good because they just jump out of the gym and they get a lot of dunks. But then when they're actually attacking off the dribble, it, it's a much different issue to try to finish against help when a defense is more loaded up to you. But I thought he was able to get separation off the dribble a couple of times and showed off some moves, looked pretty comfortable with his handle. And so I, I just based on that, I was like, okay, this is, there's a little something here. Like they're just some flashes. And I know a lot of people in Portland are pissed off that they didn't get a first round pick for Norm Powell. They obviously valued Keon Johnson. At the level of a first-round pick, not even maybe there wasn't even a first-round pick available. But like I cautioned, hey, it's way too early to say that this is a bad trade for Portland because all they got was Keon Johnson. If Keon Johnson works out, then it's a great trade for them. So we'll see.
1: We will have to see. Do you? Th- so if we're thinking about the threshold there, would would a consistent rotation player who is also not a starter? Do you think that? I I think that would be a, a low return because I thought I thought Powell was looking like a positive value on his contract before he got hurt.
0: Yeah, I don't think he was. I certainly put it this way not at the point in time that the blazers were looking
1: that's fair that, that and but but did they need like i think and it might have been directive from ownership that cronin was so aggressive about shedding long-term salary because they shed so much short-term salary in the McCollum trade but maybe they didn't know that was sad and they worried that the market right right
0: yeah they got out of the tax on that first hollinger and i actually talked about that a couple of days ago where we felt like hey if you get out of the tax on the first move then you can make the second move without having a gun to your head basically um yeah he talked about how he did that with the most spades trade which they probably overpaid for but then they're able to do the rudy gay trade from more of a position of strength which is one that worked out for them let's get to the spurs here they are 24 and 37 trundling along at 8 and 10 since the last time we checked in on them but they have well outperformed their record in terms of their point differential so i guess underperform their point differential would be a more accurate way to say that zero point or negative 0.4 net rating is 18th in the NBA, 14th on offense somehow. That's
1: well, that that's somehow crazy. is their last two games primarily where they um <laughs>
0: still still we'll I, I thought and they're 20th on defense i thought they this team could be a defensive juggernaut they are not they're 20th uh, on defense they do project for the 11th seed which is 34 wins so they've got the pels getting the 10th seed what are the pels at? they are projected for for
1: 35 so it'd be, they'd be one game yeah. short so
0: so it could still be close uh obviously trading away Derek white it does not necessarily help them push it here but great Popovich is only a couple of wins away from the all-time win record they're probably to he, go. Getting- get that their, yeah i think their over under was 29 and a half they should probably go over that as well so seven percent chance of the playoffs and raptor 14 percent Elo. tell us about this crazy double overtime game they played it against the wizards
1: well yeah I'll, I'll go a little bit bigger first that so the spurs played games in back-to-back nights friday and saturday partially because the first one went to double overtime they scored 157 in the first one that was 157 153 and then they lost 133 129 to the heat the next night so yeah that's-
0: and that's that's a nice performance though so- on the second night of a back-to-back in Miami to make it that close
1: It, it was I didn't watch that game partially because I had watched a lot of the the glorious nonsense as I described it of the of the first one and San Antonio like I mean so the game against the Wiz what was so the most memorable weird thing about that game which I was more focused on in the overtime than anything else was San Antonio had the ball with the shot clock off at the end of regulation and at the end of the first overtime and both times DeJounte Murray shot the ball too early and and that gave the Washington a chance. Yeah. And he missed both times. And that gave Washington a chance to win the game in, in both of those iterations and both times Dejounte Murray missed and both times the wizards. I don't even think they got a shot off in the first one. And then they did in the second and didn't go in. And the the other thing, I mean, a lot of guys, when, when a game ends 157, 153 and goes to double overtime, a lot of players are going to have ridiculous stat lines, but, and Murray had a triple double was Yaka Pirtle dropping 28, 11 and eight assists in 41 minutes of action. And that inspired me to look at Pirtle's, Pirtle's like overall his overall stuff for the season. He's having a career high in PER, 21.3. Um, true shooting is a little teeny bit below what he's done in the last couple of years. And the reason why his PER is the highest of his career is that pertle has the highest usage of his career, it was around 13% each of his first three seasons with the Spurs. And that has jumped to 18% this year. Now, it's still below, you know, if you split it five ways, that'd be 20%. But 18 for a low usage center is actually kind of high. Slight increase and assist percentage. In and, of course, he's still a good rebounder. So that's, you know, the offensive part being a bigger part of the offense and still being about as efficient as you were before. That's that's obviously very positive. But where Purdle is justifying his place on the team and making his money – is on the defensive end. And the Spurs, you brought up how we expected them to be a strong defensive team. That really hasn't been there. Uh, 112.6 defensive rating when Jakob Pertl is out there. That is uh, two points worse. I believe that's two points worse than last season. And they're only the 30th percentile in his minutes. And so I was like, okay, well, what's going on here? And they're still not fouling, which is the Spurs standard going back to the Duncan years, or going back to the Dave Robinson years, if memory serves. Um, but they've been weak on the defensive glass. They're playing really small, typically at the four this year so it's it's harder you know that's it'll come yeah, up in minnesota it's section
0: been too. kelton johnson the cell is even getting some time there right as well i mean this is it, finally it's been a, a a couple of years evolution but greg popovich now is fully embraced i mean as we even saw in team usa as well the last couple times he's fully embraced just going with a one big lineup you know with the departure of of LaMarcus aldridge that that really he he was one of the last holdouts for going with two bigs a lot of the
1: time he was and so so you're like okay well well what is what is leading to this and the biggest answer is that in pertles minutes the spurs have a horrendous opponent shooting luck um they're making a ton of threes making a ton of long twos and that's why Pirtle's defensive EPM is actually still pretty high as I believe estimated plus minus luck adjusts because the idea is that players can't do as much to affect the opponent's shooting like long shooting as they do and Pirtle's rim protection has still been good he's protecting not elite but good he's contesting the most shots around the rim this is uh, NBA.com's tracking version of this he's contesting the most shots in the game 8.6 per per contest and opponents are shooting 55.6 percent that is higher than the best rim protector the Go Bears and Miles Turner, the Cavs guys in the league, but it's not horrendous. Like it's, you know, so he's doing well there. And then uh, Spurs opponents are taking a lot of shots at the rim when Pirtle's on the floor, but they're not making them at a particularly high rate. So I think it's been positive for him. And, and one wild thing is this is Jakob Pirtle, this is age 26 season. And it feels like he's been a big part of teams for a long time now. Remember, he was an important part of the Kawhi trade. This is only Pirtle's second season playing 20 or more minutes a game.
0: Yeah. And I mean, part of that's been because he's struggled to stay on the floor either due to foul issues or his own getting fouled issues. And he shoots a robust 47% on the line this year. His efficiency would be much better were that not the case. Um, can I ask you a trivia question real quickly here? Of course. Don't look it up. Okay. What is Keldon Johnson shooting from three this year?
1: It's bad. Um, 28%. Try 43%. Oh, what? what Keldon Johnson was is shooting then. 40.
0: Yeah. I it, it, I think it started off pretty bad, but, and that's crazy because there have been games the last couple of years where guys have just let him shoot. He's only shooting 5.3 per 36 minutes, which is not a huge number, but he's Oh, I was C7. thinking
1: of Lonnie Walker. That's what it was.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Lonnie Walker is uh, is not shooting well. Yeah, um, He's at 31% yeah. from three. Yeah, his restricted free agency will be interesting. It's very rare that the Spurs let guys get to restricted free agency. I think the last guy that they did was Kyle Anderson, and they ended up uh, not, not matching. matching an offer sheet uh, for the full mid-level from Memphis, a-, a contract that's now coming to an end. But yeah, that I mean, some of these Spurs guys, like Devin Vassell had an unbelievable dunk over the weekend as well. Mm. Like they are, these guys continue to inspire you to some degree but they just uh, again they don't have that that final star um
1: Johnson. anything else Keldon johnson 40 43 percent on threes 49 percent on twos
0: yeah i mean he does still kind of careen into the pain and throw up a bunch of crap sometimes um anything else on these guys
1: no we're good okay let's stay in texas and go go back to the top of the alphabet with the houston rockets they are 15 and 44 on the season a desultory two and twelve since the last 15 and 60 they have Ugh. fallen to dead last in net rating negative 10.2 per 100 possessions including the glasses filter 27th in offense 30th in defense we knew their defense was going to be bad and it has been real bad they are projected to win the raptor model 22 games which is not only 15th it's so it's 15th in the west and it's third worst in the league They're one, their one the projection is one game more wins than the magic and two game two more wins than the Pistons.
0: yeah and in the west they are going to be three games projected behind the OKC Thunder.
1: Ahead of the OKC and Thunder. What'd you say? <laughs> I said ahead because you're trying to be bad. Right. uh I want to check in on
0: Christian Wood, and he's down to 57% true shooting this year, which is just only slightly above the league average. For this player type, his calling card is supposed to be really efficient offense. And that's not really good enough. By comparison, he was 66% in his breakout year in Detroit. And the biggest drop-off is that he's been 80% around the rim the last two years. That's down to 72%. Still a good number, but not like an unbelievable number for a center. Um, He has actually been shooting a little bit better from floater range. Those aren't necessarily the type of shots that you want him taking. He is also taking... Fewer of his shots around the rim and taking a higher percentage of his shots from three this year, he is hitting 37%, you know, which is, that's the, he's been right basically at 37% the last three years. It is interesting on his shooting, this is probably just noise, that on spot ups, when he's not directly involved in the play, spot up jump shots, he's only 32 out of 101, so basically about 31%, uh, but he's been awesome on pick and pops, he's 34 out of 73 on pick and pop jumpers, so that ends up adding up to around 37% for three, he will take a few off the dribble, which, you know, that's not amazing, Uh, most of it comes from either the spot ups or the pick and pops though from three, and it works out to the thirty. I don't really make much of the fact that he makes more pick and pop threes than which you would think would be a little bit more difficult because you're on the move a little bit more than spot up threes that's probably just noise um one of the other reasons that he hasn't been as effective this year like I would think of Christian Wood in theory Danny I don't know about you of being like one of the best pick and roll roll man in the league would you agree with that
1: he has a good catch radius he can be an aggressive roller I think he's a pretty good finisher When around like in in traffic not not like unbelievable but pretty good there yeah i mean that seems reasonable
0: yeah so as the pick and roll roll man and how synergy breaks it down between pick and pop and pick and roll and he's as mentioned you know he's taking a, a bunch of these pick and pops and sometimes he'll drive those as well but just talking about when he's actually rolling to the room when he receives the ball he is averaging only 1.1 attempts per game as the role man in pick and roll as a guy who should be able to get up for some alley-oops good hands good touch around the rim wow. that so that's 47th in the nba which is i mean that's just a terrible number and yes the rockets don't have great spacing either he's been playing at the four some of the year and those miserable tice lineups that thankfully are a thing of the past or he'll be playing next to jay sean tate so there's not a ton of spacing and the biggest problem is that there's absolutely nobody on this team who can pass that's the bigger and they'll play eric gordon at back. A point guard, sometimes he's not known for his passing. Kevin Porter Jr., every once in a while, Jalen Green is not ready yet. Well, and, um, and,
1: and Nate, one stat also, I just looked this up, I was inspired. When Christian Wood played with Daniel Tice, his field goal percentage was 38%. <laughs>
0: yeah it's over
1: over 50 percent when he plays without
0: yeah so i mean he he has to be a center like yes he can shoot the ball the other thing too is when he was playing at the four and being guarded by fourth they've had a little bit more success with him and shingun playing together but still uh, i would say not a ton although you know i mean that because their fours are kj martin and jay sean tate you know when wood does play at the four he's probably the best shooter who regularly plays at the four but still that, that's not a great lineup the problem is when wood is being guarded by smaller players he's not strong enough to really like overpower those guys the post or anything he's not quick enough to create much separation he'll try to iso sometimes or shoot over him it doesn't really look very good um but really it just shows you that the rockets offense has just not been a great ecosystem he they were with him on the floor last year that's not the case this year they actually shangoon is one of their better plus minus guys this season and he's also the fact that they can actually run some stuff through him and he can pass it really helps a lot um but i mean again showing you kind of how messed up their ecosystem is shangoon another guy who should be a pretty good pick and roll roll man he's only at 0.7 pick and roll roll man possession per game um also noteworthy just remember john wall played a fair amount last year as well he's at least a guy who could set up wood pretty well he hasn't had that this year so a much lower percentage of woods twos are assisted this year Mm -hmm. and that's despite the fact that he's not offensive rebounding much as he was last year obviously if you go up with an offensive rebound that's not assisted either um and and a little context to there in terms of just some of the pick and roll roll men stats I mentioned it was 47th in the NBA here's your top five
1: in terms of frequency
0: yeah well just per per game DeAndre Ayton not a surprise is number one we talked about how the Suns are just unbelievable pick and roll roll men guy uh with Booker and Paul finding those guys so DeAndre Ayton is number one Yaka Pro we just talked about actually is number two as a, a role man
1: and how many is that Re- like about four a game or
0: um those guys it's 3.8 for Ayton okay. 3.6 for Pirtle Rudy Gobert is third with three. So there's only three guys in the NBA who have more than three pick and roll roll man possessions per game. Hilariously, Tristan Thompson in his four game with the Pacers averaged two point eight. Uh, and that's after T- DeMontis Sabonis is up there too. Anthony Davis, pretty low still. You know, I think there you would think he would be one of the best pick and roll roll guys. You yeah, So those guys this, are on the two point ha- eight. The, range.
1: You have to find the roll man or at least attempt to, because otherwise it's just a screen.
0: Yes. Yes, that is correct. So
1: my favorite is DeMonte Simonis being on the list twice with exactly the same possessions per game
0: (laughs) yeah yeah with the Pacers and Kings um how about defensively here uh, for Christian Wood you know I know he's gotten completely lit up by like any kind of post-up center that he's gone against his defensive post-up numbers are not awful but just watching him try to defend like Carl Anthony Town, for example Evan Mobley was just going right through him as well in another game so that hasn't been too impressive either
1: and and we were encouraged last year I mean it's still wasn't great but he was contesting 57 or he was opponents were making 57 percent on the shots he contested around the rim I brought up Pirtle before that's a little bit worse than Pirtle is doing this year but that has now gone from 57 percent to 62 percent yeah they
0: he does have 30 percent defensive rebounds they've been about average with him on the floor they're terrible defensive rebounding with him off uh, and probably his best defensive attribute is the ability to switch. They do a lot of that. The other thing worth noting too, is that opponents take a lot of shots at the rim with him on the floor. 34% of opponent shots are at the rim. That's you know probably 25th percentile or so. And then, Opponents, we noticed that when he actually contests, they shoot 62%, which is a very poor number. And just generally when he's on the floor, opponents make 69% of their room attempts, which is a absolutely atrocious number. That's like bottom 10, 10th percentile as well. So just thinking about what Christian Wood could be on a good team i mean i think he could get back to being an efficiency monster on the offensive end maybe he could do some switching i just i don't think that he's ever going to be really a quality defensive option and you know there's talk that he might have been on the trade market it doesn't really sound like anything ever got serious there and you know we've talked about maybe seeing him in charlotte at some point or something like that but you know it's just if he can't defend better than this and he just also doesn't really have a ton of strength either to defend in the post which is which matters against some team, it's hard for me to see a winning team really saying hey this guy is gonna be someone who can help us win a lot more game yeah. with some of the holes that he has defensively right now
1: as an option sure but as you're like putting putting all of the chips in in that on on that roulette spin uh probably not the rockets i just looked this up they're in line for a bad but genuinely impressive double are you ready for this nate here we go league highest opponent transition frequency league highest opponent transition efficiency Ugh. so uh opponents are are getting a trend are getting a shot in transition are in on 16 16.4 percent of their p- opponent possessions are starting that way and they give up a 139 offensive rating in those situations that's wow. so bad yeah. i mean some well, of that is and,
0: not- and a big part of that too is that they turn it over so incredibly yes. often as well yeah.
1: so the, so you're getting you're getting better shot and and they're they're also 29th in half court defense so it's not like it's a one. It's a one part thing. It's it's both. Uh, by the way, you you want to? Oh, I, I think you could probably guess who's last in half court defense. We just talked about them a little bit ago. The Sacramento one, Portland Trailblazers. Ah, oh yeah. Well, yeah. I guess we've
0: done 28, 29, and thirty recently <laughs> in, in defense. So. Yeah, we have. Could have been anyone. Man, it is crazy to think that I've been working with Helix Sleep since. that you came from us.
1: Let's go to a team that is not that low in defense. The LA Clippers, they're an even 31 and 31 because they're two games over 500 10 and 8 in their last since the last 1560. They are slightly below water in net rating, negative 0.5. And that's because they're seventh in defense, 26th in offense. And the Clippers, the current projections
0: uh, wait, wait is is this uh are these stats is that this after their game with the Lakers and is that ended
1: yet? I'm not sure it has ended yet.
0: Okay. Uh, just just wanted to make sure that 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 out-of-bounds review isn't still going on.
1: Oh boy. And um the so 538's Raptor Model projects that they will finish with 41 wins, which would be eighth in the Western Conference and that they will, they have a 71% chance of making it into the final eight. So the playoffs not to play in and the Clippers playoff odds went from 51%. The last time we did a 1560 to 71%, partially that 10 and eight record, partially teams falling around them. And um, we didn't talk about Ty Lu in the coach of the year conversation. I think it might be fair to have him, you know, he might be somebody who's doing a really good coaching job, but coach of the year is just kind of a, a weird thing. They're 500. Um, but Ty Lu, 924, Minutes from Paul George, zero minutes from Kawhi, and they're 500 and about even in net rating. That is incredibly impressive. They have talent, but they don't have like they have a lot of guys who make sense around stars, and then they just haven't had their start. I was looking through various stats on the Clippers, and something that I found notable is that their two most frequent guys, and and because the Clippers have had so many players out, I was focusing more on three pointers per 36 minutes rather than total because per per, like per game and the way they way Tyloo runs the rotation. Their top two guys in volume. Are Paul George and Reggie Jackson? Those guys are both actually in the low thirties this year. But then that next group down in terms of frequency are just absolutely scorching the nets right now. Luke Kennard, forty-five percent on about eight threes per thirty-six minutes. Nicola Batum, forty-one percent on seven per thirty-six, Marcus Morris, thirty-eight on six and a half, and then uh, Amir Coffee, thirty eight percent on six per
0: thirty-six. Yeah, crawl that last year and the year before, but last year, they were one of the greatest three point shooting teams in NBA history I think they were like over 41% as a team and that that obviously has fallen off Reggie Jackson as mentioned is one of those ones Paul George talk a little bit about their game against the Lakers the end of it pretty hilarious Paul George supposedly is feeling better after his MRI result but Ty Lue said he will need more time I don't really know what that means that doesn't actually say what the MRI said which he had on, on the 24th so still hard to think. He's gonna come back, but I mean they haven't ruled it out yet. Still haven't heard anything about Kawhi either. But I still think these guys could be a, a if, pain if, in the ass to if play. If they
1: make the playoffs with both with both of those guys being scratches, healthy or otherwise, it would be like they not not to play in the playoffs. Like yeah, them. it's possible. I mean five thirty yeah. eight. I, I mean we'll,
0: you know I, I would you favor them? I mean they've also got Norm Powell out as well right now. And, and Jason
1: presumably Preston has been, they would have yeah. home court in a so like let's say they let's say they get the aid and they lose to the wolves in the first game they would have home court on whoever makes it out of the 9-10 game that vaunted clippers home court advantage
0: <laughs> well especially if they're going up against the lakers although i think i think lakers fans might just show up there to protest um this offense though predictable even when they had george they're struggling they haven't been able to go that much with smaller players although they were actually able to go small down the end of that lakers game where they had covington a Mir Coffey, Kennard, Terrence Mann, and Marcus Morris out there against the Lakers. I think a big part of that was the Lakers were also going small as well. The Lakers started a center in that game, but didn't stick with it. They're going with LeBron at center. They actually had Covington guarding LeBron a lot of those late game possessions were trying to involve Kennard. in pick and roll LeBron wasn't really able to get great shots down the end he was he just goes so deliberately at the end of games that you know I thought that really hurt them at times in the last couple of minutes against the Clippers but it I'm sure Lou it was nice for him to be able to actually go to one of his preferred small lineups although between Coffee and Kennard, you know it's not as defensively stout as some of their groups were in the playoffs last year when they had PG obviously um you know Batum actually wasn't out there at the end for some reason I'm not sure why I think they're kind of taking it pretty easy with him at, at his age right now but they have largely gone with centers and as a result, between that and Reggie Jackson struggling and some of the other guys they've had, Powell being out, their offense has struggled quite a bit. This
1: it has. And the Clippers, they're 19th in effective field goal percentage, fueled in part by all those guys hitting threes. That is 19th in the league, is the best that the Clippers are in any of the four factors. They're bottom five in both free throw attempt rate and rebounding, and then 22nd in turnover rate. So in order to be at like, to keep treading water, you have to have a top 10 defense. That's what they do. They're eighth. Briefly, Isaiah hartenstein has had this under the radar just like really like remarkable season from an efficiency standpoint and uh, a lot of the box score stats love it 21 per 64 percent true shooting on 19 usage and the big part of why the on-offs love him the clippers have a plus 12 net rating when hartenstein is on the floor fueled by a just nasty 101.4 defensive rating and yes as you would expect there is some big time shooting luck in there but opponents are only shooting 56 percent when he's when He's out there, which is the 98th percentile, so that's super duper low. And on Isaiah Hartenstein is one of, uh, I want to say it's like 45 to 50 players in the league who is contesting 3.3.5 or more shots at the rim per game. Opponents are shooting 47.7 percent on those, which is the lowest percentage in the league. That can vacillate a lot year to year. It was over 10 percent better last year, but Hartenstein, I mean, it's it's working for him right now.
0: Yeah, the, he's been one of the breakout players of the year, and definitely made the right decision i think to opt out of his player option and then ended up i mean remember he wasn't even supposed to make this team right necessarily he had to win his way onto the team and because ibaka was injured he was able to carve himself out a role and they moved on from ibaka i'm sure in part because of how good he's been so about the lakers now la is 27 and 32 after that controversial loss to the clippers they were down one lebron james saved the ball under the basket and then it went off of robert covington afterwards the clippers had no timeouts remaining or or had one timeout left they elected to challenge then the challenge saw that lebron as he saved it it was very difficult to see and probably should have just i mean this review took 10 minutes as i alluded to a, a few minutes ago and they were able to conclude eventually that lebron's right foot had landed before he released the ball on his save the lakers because technically correct is the best kind of correct even though i don't even think it was correct were are saying that hey there's no way that the review should have included lebron's save because the original out of bounds call was made on covington and that LeBron save wasn't part of the play i i think it's that's a kind of a ridiculous argument uh and, and they made the right call then they trap in the backcourt the Clippers are forced to take a timeout after Reggie Jackson or actually no they advance the ball the Clippers do they throw it in the backcourt Reggie Jackson runs around for like four seconds actually more like six seconds they commit a foul accidentally in the backcourt they wanted to tr- maybe uh,
1: you're close to a violation so
0: yeah yeah I mean they, they were trying to foul initially Reggie Jackson eludes him then they're getting pretty close to a back or um an eight second violation Taylor Horton Tucker gets called for a foul bumping him which because they had already tried to foul and just missed earlier in the possession the referees were ready to call father was contact Vogel wasted his challenge and that there's no way that was going to get overturned but I think he challenged because he was pissed off about the previous call which is never a good idea Taylor Norton Tucker there was contact like yeah it was pretty nominal he wasn't trying to follow him but as long as there's contact you're never going to get that overturned but then the Clippers have to inbound the ball in the backcourt because they weren't in the bonus um and they couldn't get the ball into the frontcourt they throw it in the backcourt get an eight second violation but then the Lakers uh were unable to score and the Clippers came away with the victory so they're 27 and 32 now the Lakers 6 and 10 in their last 16 21st in net rating negative 1.8 24th on offense Danny Ugh. the team that has been playing as LeBron James and Anthony Davis and I mean you know Carmelo Anthony Malik Monk, like they're they not got exactly a lot of one-way guys line. that way yeah yeah they're playing mostly offensive lineups they're playing LeBron at center and they're still 24th on offense 17th on defense which given the personnel available, is probably Actually, an accomplishment for Frank Vogel. Uh, but they still project to a tie for the ninth seed, 35 wins. But that's actually the same as the Pels. It is. They could end up being even the 10th seed now. Seems pretty unlikely, uh, particularly with the Clippers winning that one. That the Lakers are going to actually be the seventh or eighth seed in the play-in. So they're probably gonna have to win at least one on the road. You know we'll see who's actually back obviously Anthony Davis uh, has struggled they've got 14% chance of making the regular playoffs per Raptor and 13% per Elo and with Anthony Davis on the shelf I know you like to do this sometimes Like to kind of check in on what a guy has done and with Anthony Davis he just has not been the same guy since that 2020 playoff run
1: that's right and we wondered at the time Anthony Davis you know was the most valuable playoff defender but the other and which was less anomalous he's an unbelievable defender defensive player overall but the anomalous part of what he was doing we at the time was the the jump shooting and so in the 2020 playoffs anthony davis shot 47 on jump shots 37 sorry 38 on threes and because they had a long playoff run it was actually a meaningful sample so as uh, I, I actually this is the first time i've ever reused it uh basketball references Stathead has a very detailed shot uh, search database that you can use for shot distances and so i did a lot of that with this which was fun and so in that playoffs actually more than half of davis's shots were jump shots which is crazy and if you if you narrow it to just shots from over 15 feet and further out davis shot 47 percent on those so that's what's so like, okay it'd be so huge for the lakers so huge for davis if he can even get close to, to continuing that moving forward worth noting the last two seasons you know he's been battling injuries and everything else last season went from 47 percent from shots beyond 50 15 feet to 28 percent and 25 percent on threes um and then that is 34 on shots over 15 feet for this season, only 18% on the 66 three-pointers that he took. So we wondered whether that was going to continue, whether that was going to be a, a foundational part of the Lakers' offense, and preliminarily, no, it is not. The other thing I wanted to look into with the Lakers, just because I've heard, we talked about it in the awards podcast actually, is well, how close, what are the basic numbers on LeBron James passing Kareem Abdul-Jabbar for most regular season points scored in a career? The answer is, he's pretty close. So Before the game that the Lakers play on Sunday, LeBron has 36,580 regular season points. That is 1,800 short of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Depending on what average you want to use as a proxy, LeBron is between 63 and 75 games away from passing Kareem. So then the question gets to, well, how? so it's roughly a season's worth of games. How long do we think it's going to take for LeBron James to play a season's worth of games?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think he'll probably get there by the end. I mean what do they have 20 games less left this year so I think you can get there by the end of next year
1: I think so too so that if that would be him missing 20 to 20 to 35 games over the next season and season and change I think that's reasonable but I was thinking about the possibility just because this is how my brain works of LeBron has a player option after next season he already you know made those rumblings as we talked about in the news about potentially returning to Cleveland or something bring the put the heat on Rob Palenka's fire I was game out the hypothetical where LeBron James enters unrestricted free agency mere games away from breaking the all-time scoring record and whether a team would actually <laughs> be really interested in that and whether that would I mean LeBron James is going to have desirability marketability no matter what and I would think so I mean it would be something that some teams would really enjoy and potentially you know like baby I, I my instinct is that he's going to stay with the Lakers until Bronny is joined the NBA whatever the hell that is and and then at that point he will he'll basically time is free agency to be to go wherever Bronny goes but yeah uh, by the way i wonder i wonder how like
0: Bronny would actually feel about like playing with his dad <laughs> in his first nba stop now i mean this whole idea of like oh you draft him i'll go there maybe he's gonna get overdrafted for that reason but i mean most guys you would think would want to like kind of be their own man and forge their own path and like i mean that's what everyone says who has like a famous relative and so
1: i, I think if it's having only to face that one- if you- it's only for one year i think it's fine if it's for longer than that uh, well, well i mean having to face i mean yeah
0: you're gonna get more money but it's not like you know lebron james son is like hurting for money uh but the idea that Like you got drafted higher than you should have in theory, having to like fight that. And then just all the attention in your rookie year when you're just like trying to establish your career and be good and like,
1: well and we don't even know how good of a player he's actually going
0: to be yeah well i mean i I, i'm kind of assuming too just that it's like you know he's going to be kind of a late first early second guy at at best is kind of where it it seems headed for um it's just something that doesn't really come up i don't know i I think yeah the idea of playing with your dad is great but it's also it's going to be a shit show you would think um and also worth noting too that sam Amick had a story wojo's story on rich paul meeting with the lakers brass and they hammered it out no there's never a disconnect i'm sure lebron's uh 97 passive aggressive comments are just totally unrelated to anything that's going on and mark stein wrote about this today too just hey, lebron kind of still needs the lakers right he wants to be in la he doesn't want to leave and so he was pissed off and I, you know maybe there wasn't a lot of calculation to what he was doing other than just being pissed off and wanted to let that be known but it does seem like at least for now that they're kind of on the same page you know maybe maybe they'll still be uh a replacement of guy i do think that getting like an actual real gm for the lakers who's not just a lakers crony for the first time since ellipsis would be really nice. Like they should fire Rob Polinka. They should actually do a real search to get a real GM in there. Who's not just some Lakers guy who's going to make Genie bus uh, feel safe. And, you know, Kurt Rambis and Linda Rambis having a bunch of power in the organization. Like, yeah, no, it would be great to actually get a real professional general manager.
1: Alternatively, they can can hire me. That'd be fine too.
0: Well, you better be willing to work for cheap, Danny. Hey,
1: uh, Uh, but let's get to the Memphis Grizzlies. They yeah. are a robust 42 and 20, 12 and five since the last 15 and 60. Uh, they're sixth in net rating plus 4.7, which I believe is actually the same as the last time we did 15, 60 fifth in offense ninth in defense. Remember when they were dead last in defense early in the season and there was some yeah. weird shooting luck and everything else like that. That's gone by the wayside and they're projected for 55 wins, which is tied for second in the West with the warriors. As we record this podcast, they are going to make the playoffs and they had a pretty memorable game on Saturday.
0: Yeah. we thought that Ja, it it was like a hip issue i think in the wolves game he was kind of limping around they did lose that on a back-to-back on the front
1: end of the back-to-back
0: right right yes thank you on the front of the back-to-back on friday and then he just goes out and scores a memphis grizzlies team high 46 points like in history i think it's the highest scoring game any grizzlies ever had 15 and 28 from the field looked awesome and i caught up on that he really abused nikola vucevic in in drop coverage and because Vooch as I've said I've given him credit within his capabilities for defending pretty well this year but Morant is just so quick that if Vooch tried to get out a little bit on his floater Morant could just blow right by him because he's so fast Morant also just can kind of pop off the floor and he did have that floater working then he actually started hitting threes as well he, they ran a play for him to come off a baseline out of bounds for a screen into the corner for a corner three uh they got out in transition obviously as the grizz will do the bulls usually don't turn it over but missed shots and and turnovers did lead to a lot of jaw highlights in transition chris paul actually noted this on twitter that jaw did an awesome lefty yo-yo dribble jaw actually likes to go left in transitions the, the yo-yo dribble is the like fake bounce pass but you put a reverse spin on it so it just spins right back into the hand that you threw the pass out of but it's like basically a a pass fake, but it's got a spin on it. So it doesn't continue to the recipient. It just spins right back into your hand. Uh, So that, that was awesome in transition. Um, Jod did go a little bit cold in the last few minutes, but the Bulls uh, gave up a couple of big offensive rebounds. Steven Adams and Kyle Anderson were involved. They kicked out to Desmond Bain. The Grizz are up 108-107. DeRozan hits a a layup to make it 108-107 at that point. And then Job misses a difficult mid-ranger, gets tipped out. Adams and Anderson combine to keep it alive, and Bain hits a huge three to put Memphis up four. Uh, Then they got another offensive rebound.
1: By the way, Steven Adams 20 21 rebounds eight of them offensive Kyle Anderson had another five offensive rebounds
0: I mean I I think you know we thought that Steven Adams would be a downgrade for them and I think that really just hasn't been the case like he's been better defensively which we thought he would be and he hasn't been the same type of role man as a score, but if you watch all these plays that Jaw got at the rim, the Steven Adams, Gortat roll right into the body, uh, you know, that was supposed to be a point of education, but he's found a way to do it legally where he actually just gets into position and stops where he's not just like literally rolling right through the guy the way that like Daniel Tice used to, for example. He'll just get right next to the guy and then set a totally legal screen right under the basket as Jaw has already come off his bone-crushing screen at the top so he basically sets two screens first on jaw's man and then on his own man and jaw gets right to the run I and mean, probably three or four of his jaws layups in the half court we're off of Steve Ms. obviously steven did that for russell westbrook as well and then you mentioned what an awesome offensive rebounder he is yeah i mean the, they are like plus 10 or something with him on the floor like he's been one of the better on off differential guys in the league it's not all credit that he deserves but and particularly now with dylan brooks out you know he's one of their five best players he's closing games for. all all the time they haven't missed a beat at all
1: they haven't and another factoid from this game is that it Memphis ended DeMar DeRozan's incredible streak of scoring 35 or more points while also shooting 55 percent or higher from the field DeRozan did have 31 points so he was close on that but he was 10-29 from the field and actually got ejected in the final minute and so yeah yeah
0: and the reason he got ejected was they're down three after the Bulls scored without 26 seconds left on a quick fast break, but they didn't quite get the two for one to get within one. Grizz called timeout. They get Tyus Jones in the game. They're trying to trap him in the backcourt. He throws it out to Stephen Adams. The Bulls could not foul Stephen Adams in time. He gets rid of it, heady play. Tyus Jones hits a couple of free throws. So they're up three with like 15 seconds left. And the Bulls, this was just one of the worst plays that I've seen. I mean, DeMar DeRozan, as good as he is as a two-point scorer, his, his game is not like just blow right by you to the rim for the easy quick two. You know, he's going to work into the mid range. So they ran the play for him instead of Levine to shoot a three with 15 seconds left. And Drozen, you know works into the lane and just you know the quick two even if you want to say DeMar Derozan hits 50% for mid-range the quick two really the math only works out if you're getting a good enough shot where it's like oh you're gonna hit 70% on this shot so he works into the lane Kyle Anderson did a great job he was really good Kyle Anderson is a great matchup against DeMar Derozan due to his length and you know DeMar is not gonna beat you with quickness so like uh, Kyle Anderson being a little slower doesn't hurt so he, he did a great job on in this game strips him and then the Grizz come down get fouled it and ice it and DeRozan went ballistic but the last two minutes report which came out today said no it was clean strip I thought it was watching it live as well
1: by the way Kyle Anderson potentially huge factor in a Grizzlies Mavericks series which seems very possible
0: yeah no that that's uh yeah I mean this fight between the Warriors and the Grizz for the two seed is just gonna be so massive just in terms of like how hard their first round series is going to Let's get to the Wolves, who are 32-29, and 11-7 since the last 15-60. and 60. They did have that nice win we alluded to earlier on Friday against the Grizz at home. 1.9 net rating is 13th in the NBA, 10th on offense, 13th on defense, this group being above average on defense. Really very, very impressive, even if they have kind of changed things up a little bit lately from their really aggressive pick and roll coverage. They got totally lit up by Philly. Yes. Yes, they did and they were trying to double team james harden at the point of attack that worked terribly james harden is just too good for that type of coverage joel Embiid went crazy as well maxi also went crazy in, in transition and attacking off a of close philly looked really good
1: <laughs> can, we'll, I, can we'll... I say a stray philly plate because now that they they played another game they played the knicks on they played the knicks on sunday during the day harden and Embiid combined for 37 free throw attempts against the knicks Ugh. yeah the playoff yeah. games might they'll the, the sixers will be good but they might not be the most fun to watch anyway this isn't philly yeah. section i just wanted to know yeah
0: that. yeah and, and james harden looks rejuvenated obviously we'll focus in very much so uh, on philly uh, over the course of this next week
1: oh uh, sorry but, one other thing to mention before we move all the way off of memphis we're doing their game for the nba strategy stream on monday we are doing uh, yes memphis oh sorry no we're not we're doing minnesota <laughs> we're doing minnesota cleveland um i should oh know- yeah okay i yeah. was gonna say yeah i i had the natural transition and then fucked it up uh i'm sorry anyway it,
0: quite all right i i mean your transitions are not what people listen to this show for intros outros we're not very good at things no but, but l- uh, let's get back to the to the wolves here uh they project for 44 wins the seventh seed 88 percent chance of making the playoffs per raptor 81 percent per elo they do look pretty likely headed for the play-in though what they- are they projected to be behind I
1: mean they're pretty clear for the 7. So right now they're yeah. four games behind the Mavs in the loss column. They're two games ahead of the Clippers and the Clippers aren't getting their dudes back for a while if if at all. So I think it's looking yeah. pretty the, clear. They're
0: projected to be four games behind the Mavs and six behind this right now. So, so
1: Minnesota yeah, fans looks you like can they're... preliminarily get your tickets for that or think about getting your tickets for that 7-8 play-in game for the right to face either the Golden State Warriors or the Memphis Grizzlies or maybe the Utah Jazz if they go on a big push. What I want to focus on with minnesota is just um, a couple different things related to their best five five man lineup that is the the group of d'angelo russell patrick beverly anthony edwards jared vanderbilt and carl anthony towns now plus 17.1 net rating in 20 sorry 646 clean the glass possessions that is a 123 offensive rating a 106 defensive rating and it is the second highest net rating of any five man group with 500 or more clean the glass possessions Do you did you look at who the number one is? no no tell me Marcus smart Jalen Brown Jason Tatum Al Horford and Robert Williams plus 27.4 yeah remember this
0: group their starting unit you know, was like a 50 net rating it They've was obviously gone down
1: but once once you got a into a larger sample so. size that was always good but plus 17 is incredibly impressive and I I want to do a little bit of digging um the wolves have been better defensively in carl Anthony Towns as minutes than I expected and I wanted to see whether that was how much of that you wanted to give on to playing with Jared Vanderbilt because they do have other capable forwards, but Vanderbilt to me is the best of them. That's why Chris Finch is starting him. And the the Wolves net rating goes from plus 5.4 when Towns and Vanderbilt play together to about even when Towns plays without Vanderbilt, but that is actually more of an offensive drop up than defensive one to support surrounding talent shifts and everything else. So it isn't as much that as I expected. They're typically, and like those groups, the, overall the Wolves are doing very poorly on the defensive glass and fouling. But when you think about their personnel, that's not a huge surprise they're playing pretty small overall at the four and they have a lot of guys who foul and they're also going aggressively for steals they're doing a lot of they're putting a lot of pressure on the ball so you can you can get steals that way but you can also commit fouls it's free throw rate isn't just like getting to the basket and getting hacked or something like that it can be that and so i was thinking just kind of big picture a little bit about the wolves and early on their defense was surprising their 13th they actually i think they moved from like 17th to 13th over the weekend um a couple of games happen and i'm impressed overall that they're you know they're not in the bottom I think that's the bigger the bigger surprise. Yeah, being uh, it's a very thick group where they are, where they can kind of move around a lot within that. And and Chris Finch, the whole team deserves a lot of credit for it. I am a little bit concerned though because the so the turnovers they're forcing a ton of them. There's reason if they keep the scheme, there's reason to expect that that's going to continue. There's also reason to expect that the bad rebounding and the foul rates aren't going to improve unless they change their philosophy or they change their personnel. So what that means is your I would say a little bit below water on those three and so then it all comes down to the biggest of the four factors on both ends of the floor and that's shooting, opponent shooting in this case. And what concerns me is you can kind of think about that as two different things. One is what kind of shots are you giving up and how well are you contesting shots? Minnesota on the first of those two questions is actually doing a really poor job. They are giving up the second worst, so meaning best for the opponent, location effective field goal percentage. And you can't can succeed with that like the example that we'll probably use for a couple of years moving on is the New York Knicks last year where the Knicks gave up a very unhealthy opponent shot mix but succeeded and they succeeded because they were had excellent room protection they were playing a big center all the time that worked out really well and the Jedi mind trick as Seth Partnow puts it three-point shooting defense that has regressed to the mean and so that's why they were they defied that gravity last year and then they're not doing defying it as much this year Minnesota I don't think they can do that I don't think they have the person personnel to I agree. protect the rim very well. Yeah. And if they're it, giving up Carl Anthony
0: Towns, Nas Reed, uh, you know, Vanderbilt on the back line, like they're just hey. not gonna be so, a- as good as the Knicks were last year. So
1: my my main kind of takeaway from that going into some of the basic numbers, I didn't go into film on it, is Better than I expected, but probably going to be bottom half of the league. And I mean, if like on the aggregate, and then if you, you know, you have shooting luck, then you can move up a little bit past that. That is still better than I anticipated. And and that's a step, but it's there. Like, so I was watching, I watched the Wolves feed of their game. I think that was the part, the portion of the game against Philly that I, I, I was watching, you know, because Dave Benz and J. Peterson do such a great job. And they were talking about like Barkley saying that they're like a year and a half away from being really good. I disagree with that pretty strongly. Like, I think they're, They'll be capable. They can be this level, and then if Anthony Edwards takes a big step forward, maybe they can get better offensively. But the idea that like I'm going to pick them to win a playoff series in 2023, I I don't expect that to happen. I would love to be proven wrong, as I always love to be when the team exceeds my expectations. I don't think their defense is good enough for that.
0: Yeah, and also worth noting, Carl Anthony Towns two years left on his contract after mm-hmm. this year. It'll be, be something to monitor. One other thing I wanted to mention, and this is a hallmark you'll see this for teams that like to put two on the ball and pick and roll. The point. of that obviously is to make sure that the ball handler has to get off the ball and you see that in the synergy stats the wolves only allow pick and roll ball handlers to shoot on 14.1 possessions per game that is by far the lowest in the nba and only uh, 12.5 percent of initial possessions come on pick and roll ball handler for their opponents so you can see the statistical effect of them putting two on the ball and pick and roll but as you mentioned that leads to plenty of good shots elsewhere
1: yeah corner three they're giving up a ton of corner threes in particular and that's a trade off that that's a trade off that you have to decide on so let's get to the Pel's and the Suns here. Uh, watched
0: a fair amount of their game over the weekend. Pel's. Oh, I'll, what do, are I'll their do this out since you're going to
1: talk about the game. Yeah. New Orleans twenty-four and thirty-six on this on the season. A totally respectable eight and nine since the last fifteen and sixty. Even so, they're still twenty-fourth in net rating, negative three point seven, and bottom ten on both sides of the four. Twenty-fifth in offense, twenty-first on defense. Though that is being weighed down a lot by the horrendous starts the year before. Brandon Ingram was available five. 38th Raptor model projects them to win 35 games, which ties the Lakers for ninth. And both models project them to make the final eight of the, like the playoffs about 15 to 20% of the time.
0: Yeah. Before we get into their game against phoenix which was very impressive 117 102 in phoenix although the suns admittedly were on the second end of a back-to-back cj mccollum has been devastating yes. so far for them six games 62 percent true shooting 30 percent usage this is actually andrew lopez had a couple of stats and this has been one of the better six game stretches of his career he's averaging 29 points and five assists per 36 minutes shooting 41 percent from three but and that's something he's been around that level that that's not a huge outlier. But he's shooting mid fifties on long twos, and not getting to the rim at all. But he has been seventy six percent at the rim. He's never really been a great rim finisher, so there is definitely some unsustainable elements to what he's been doing so far. Despite the fact that he's played so well, there is a zero point four net rating, which is not so unbelievable, and negative five point nine when he's off. The offense obviously gets way better. The defense gets worse. Really interesting though that well, actually, to finish up on McCollum doing most of his damage as. A a pick and roll ball handler and you know, he's been very effective there he's 19 out of 41 out of pick and roll and you know, some of those are threes so he's doing pretty well there the thing that's probably been the biggest difference for him versus in portland when they never ran was he's getting 21 percent of his shots in transition i thought that really stood out in that game that we did for the strategy stream a couple of weeks ago and they forced a billion a, turnovers yeah a, a, and that was against a very addled raptors team the raptors are at a weird Fallout. off they've gotten blown out three times in their last few games um so he was getting a lot of threes quickly in transition i thought that looked really good um the other thing that's been interesting is that they've now changed up their starting lineup Devonte graham they rightfully have concluded that Devonte graham and cj is just not going to be a good enough defensive backcourt the other thing i think why it makes some sense to just go with the unit that they are is because their zion can kind of slide into that they actually though right now are starting jackson hayes and Jonas Valanciunas together um Hayes at a very interesting third quarter as we'll get to um but and then Herb Jones at the three so that is a very spacing challenged
1: yeah I mean starting lineup it's CJ Jones Brandon Ingrams Hayes and Valanciunas that is uh um, Christian Clark is calling it the jumbo unit
0: yeah and so it's really watching that group was pretty fascinating they're switching Jackson Hayes on the perimeter onto Devin Booker and Booker really got the better of him in that third quarter. I think Booker attacked him five times. One of them was in the late clock. He had to just shoot a three over him. But he actually went into the lane and was three out of four. Pump faked him a couple of times for layups. Got fouled another time as well. Uh, I thought the Suns did a nice job of just running early transition screens with their four-man. We'll get to the Suns' new starting lineup in, in a second. But they had Hayes guarding Jay Crowder, and they switched him on. They even were willing to put Valanchunas switch on to Booker at times as well and you know the Suns are in an interesting spot here with Booker the only guy in their starting lineup really who can attack off the dribble at all Hayes had one as the Suns went on their big run late in the third once DeAndre Ayton went out of the game Hayes had a a beautiful wing three that he just stepped right into that looked awesome he also had a nice pass along the baseline he got the ball in the dunker spot and quick touch pass over to Valanchunas the Pels if you're going to go with two centers in the starting lineup, you really want to bludgeon them on the offensive glass. They did that 16 offensive rebounds in the game, and in the first half, the Pels started Hayes and Valchunas take both of them out and at the end of the first quarter they put in Willie Hernan Gomez kind of feels like you should stagger those guys and then that's exactly what they did in the third it looked much better than uh, with Hayes at center as they went on their run the Suns were kind of trying to uh, DeAndre Ayton was pretty good in this game but when he went out the Suns go to a smaller backup unit they've got Devontae Graham and Jose Alvarado together Alvarado is impressed a lot with his defense and energy and Devontae Graham was doing a nice job operating and Pick and roll finding Hayes against JaVale McGee, who had a really bad defensive game, to the point where Monty Williams actually went with Ishmael Wainwright as the backup center to try to get some more defensive versatility out there. That didn't really work, and, and the Pels were up by 17 near the end of the third quarter. Yeah, I like mean, Cruz New Orleans had a 42-point
1: third quarter. And that that actually could be the transition to some of the Sun stuff in this. And I I think an important piece of context is that you could argue necessity was the mother invention because not only is Chris Paul out, as we talked about at length in the user but campaign still hasn't returned he's dealing with that right is- right wrist issue oh that's one that's fun to say and aaron holiday also missed the game he's dealing with right ankle soreness looks like he's going to be back for their game on sunday so that meant the only point guard guy as we would normally think of it on their roster is alfred payton that meant the suns ended up in a pretty similar place to the pelicans where they started a much bigger lineup devin booker was the smallest player then cam johnson mikhail bridges and jay crowder who are all like wing-sized guys and eight
0: yeah and that was obviously their five best available players and um, you know, that that group even after the third quarter well the th- the beginning of the third quarter actually was fine for that group that group actually has a plus 10 net rating uh, although a, in a pretty limited sample of you know, i think about 93 possessions exactly 93 mm-hmm. possessions actually um but i wanted to take a, a little bit closer of a look at just what it looks like with booker on and paul off because that's what we're looking at for the foreseeable future here And um, 3.2 net rating for but for a team that's really good you know that's not amazing uh 118 on offense which is about average and 108 on defense that's in 531 possessions with Booker on and I'm sorry. Actually, they've played 531 possessions with Booker on, but no Payne or Paul campaign. Getting back to the level that he was at last year is really going to be important for these guys. Um, you know, I, I do, I think they're five best players. That makes sense. But it was just palpable in that third quarter of how much burden there is on Devin Booker just to to bring the ball up every time. And they don't really have anyone else who can even bring the ball up. And, you know, they're before Chris Paul got there, they you know, this is kind of reminiscent of the bad old days when Devin Booker was point Booker and he's playing with like the likes of Elia Kobo and Tyler Uless. And uh, so, and, and Booker, I mean, he was very effective early on here. You know, I mentioned what he was doing in isolation against Hayes, but it was just, it was way too much where I mean, he had to set up and initiate every single time. And Devin Booker is a great player, but he's not quite, you know, James Harden, Luka Doncic level of distributor that you just put the ball in his hands at the top of the key and run a pick and roll every time he's more of an isolation score he's got a drive to be effective I mean, it just was exhausting for him he played the entire 12 minutes of the third and kind of ran out of gas there by the end something um, they did yeah
1: sorry something Very i sorry. wanted to look up was it, it can be hard when you're when a player is a you're looking kind of like one player on one player off for the proxy of well what is it going to be now that he's the only guy and so what i wanted to look up was booker with ayton without paul so the idea that that's closer to the starters yeah. plus 4.3 net rating better than average offense about average defense there so that's just something i wanted to add in uh do you want to do their stats yeah. before we forget or do you want well, you want to well one other thing
0: i wanted sure. to say too i i just this is another one of these games where as good as javel mcgee has been in the regular season this year i have severe concerns about his ability to defend against some of the competition that they're going to have whether it's utah dallas golden state let's we'll see how he would do against denver they're not really a, as much of a spread pick and roll team but Javale just not capable of like playing the cat and mouse game like he can protect the rim when he's in position but he's just he's too jumpy like there was one play where Devonte grant or i think it was actually it was ingram had the guy on his back pretty well but you know it still would have been a difficult contested foul line jumper and Javale just jumps right to the foul line leaves jackson hayes wide open for a dunk on the open side pick and roll just like didn't didn't have the recognition that hey i can't leave jackson hayes here like helps gonna have to come from the weak side or hey you know what i just i'll just give up a mid-range jumper um so yeah he he still struggles uh, with some of those execution aspects defensively but yeah let's uh, close out here with the sun's stats before we go
1: phoenix 49 and 11 on the season including 15 and 2 with that big win streak since the 15 and 60 first in net rating second in offense third in defense and 63 wins is the raptor model project Sixty-three wins is eight clear of the entire NBA, and that includes Chris Paul being out for a while. So
0: I was thinking of a Watfo of like because the regular season has been so devalued. Of I mean, this is a long-term one, but what are the chances that a team wins sixty-three or more games in the next, you know, two seasons or something? I think the Suns they they'll probably get over sixty-three this year. We'll see. I think this was kind of an aberration. This loss to New Orleans, they still were getting like a bunch of wide-open corner threes. Even in that so, third quarter, when Newark.
1: for for context, they would need to go fourteen and eight to win sixty three games.
0: Yeah, I think they'll probably get there. They're also beating Utah right now on on ABC as we speak um at home. So uh yeah, let's finish up here. Or did we? Yeah, we did all of their yeah. all their uh stats. Let's finish up here with OKC before
1: the Oklahoma City Thunder are nineteen and forty one on the season, five and thirteen since the last fifteen and sixty. They are 27th in net rating, negative 7.2. I believe they're ex- they're outperforming their net rating again this year. Last in offense, wealth in defense, though, which is pretty striking. They're projected to win 25 games, which is 14th in the West, and it's the fourth worst total overall. Um, they're four games clear of the Pacers. They're currently Pacers are projected for the fifth least wins in the league. Not going to make the playoffs. And I was inspired. Um, I watched a lot of that Oklahoma City Indiana game, which was hilarious because in regulation nobody could stop anyone it was basically just a track meet and then it went to overtime and nobody scored for the first two and a half minutes of overtime so it just <laughs> it flipped on ahead and then eventually okc won it and trey mann had a big game he is starting in place of josh giddy who is dealing with i believe it's a hip issue and mann had a big one 22 points 8 to 17 from the field in part because of indiana's defensive scheme indiana was throwing an extra guy a lot toward Shea Gilgis-Alexander, who has returned. And so that left Mann in a lot of advantage situations. And so he was going downhill, he was getting finishes around the basket. And so I want to look at kind of how his rookie year is going. Trey Mann, somebody that we didn't watch film on, he felt he was far enough down in the draft board that we only, you know, we only get to watch like seven guys. And Man is averaging nine points, 1.2 assists in about 21 minutes a game. This is age 20 season. 49% true shooting, not great on 21 usage. And the duality of it, and a player age 20 is not what they're going to be at 25 or 26 actually i would argue that there's some really positive stuff i didn't do a ton of film work on man before i'm kind of working through the basics and i've watched a fair amount of the thunder over the last few few months is the early stuff is like okay can you hit your catch and shoot shots and can you fill that role within the offense and to me the answer there preliminarily is yes and man always the type of player that gives me pause where it was a two-year player at florida was not a good shooter from the free throw line or the three-point line his freshman year, but then he was his sophomore year. So, like, okay, well, what's the signal? What's the noise? And so far this year, 36% on seven threes per 36 minutes. If you want to do overall catch and shoots, 1.2 points per possession on Synergy, that's good. That's, you know, that, that's doing well. Why he's been so much less efficient is two-pointers and kind of the more off-the-dribble stuff. That is not going particularly well for him, in part because man, as a thin, listed-at-six-foot-three guy, doesn't get to the basket very much, doesn't get to the line really at all. And so only 12% of Terrence Man's shots are taken around basket compared to 26% as floaters. And he's not making, you know, a ridiculous amount in the restricted area. So the kind of the basic building... Did, did you say Terrence Mann? Sorry, Trey Mann. I'm getting... Okay. Other, other Sorry. Men. Um. Anyway. I, I was channeling Trey. Field of
0: Dreams there for a second. Yes.
1: Oh, yeah. That's, oh, God. That That's one too. Um. And so... <laughs> so I what encouraged me though is that so the the basics of okay, if you're gonna be a lower usage guy, they have Shea Gildas Alexander, they have Josh Giddy, you're looking for a complimentary guy that opponents are gonna have to shoot, and then can like like man did in this game, take advantage of the advantages that are created for him. I think those things are going well. Man has also done a nice job in transition. 1.5 points per possession if you include passes, or uh, 1.2 just on his shots, but man being able to distribute in those circumstances, that's good too. That that's violent. the Thunder have a lot of guys that can run the floor. So I worry about him defensively. I worry about, you know, like the, the, he hasn't been the greatest pick and roll creator so far, but the Thunder also don't have the healthiest ecosystem there. They don't have a ton of shooting. They don't have a ton of great, like pick and roll bigs this year. Al Horford is in Boston again. And so I, I feel more confident that he can be the smaller role guy than the bigger role guy, but you know, his jump shot looks pretty smooth. I think that I, when I watched some of his off the dribble stuff, it didn't look bad. It just hasn't gone in so far. So I feel pretty preliminarily kind of good but not effusively positive like this guy's a future star but at age 20 i'm not going to write anything
0: else. so let me just finish up here with this thunder rotation in a game that they won by the way and looks like they almost certainly I and mean, we'll see how hard detroit and orlando and try the rest of the year they look like they're almost certainly headed for the four seed in the lottery uh we'll, we'll see what happens with the pacers they, they're uh I and mean, i guess the the thunder are actually technically only I- with this win are only one game Behind.
1: they're a half they're tied in the loss column but you look at the win column yeah. for teams with a lot of losses
0: yeah so I, I guess they actually i mean the the thunder are definitely projected to only win six games the rest of the year shea was back he was awesome in this game you mentioned how they had to double team but even in overtime shea only played 38 minutes man Basley, some of their other starters were in the low 30s but that's because they had to get 24 minutes for lindy waters the third 21 minutes for olivier Sar, poku It's like been a little bit better lately, nineteen minutes. Teo Maladon and uh Vit Craachie also got plenty of tick in this one.
1: If anybody, if any listener of this knows it, when I was watching Krejci, he looks like someone, but I can't figure out who it is and it slowly drove me insane over the course of this game. So if anybody can figure out who in the world, whether it's pop culture or basketball, Vic Krejci looks like, it's someone and I don't know who it is.
0: Well, and actually, I mean, OKC, you know, they didn't get like some crazy outlier shooting performance. The Pacers played Brogdon, Halliburton, Heald. Like, they played some real players in this game though their bench benches uh, a little bit, not as no name as the thunder benches right now and they, they still beat the pacers so uh yeah i think this uh it's gonna be fascinating to see what this bottom five bottom six or so is gonna look like in the lottery but the thunder are projected right now because of their terrible point differential to be way worse than the pacers but given where they are right now we'll see w- how aggressively the pacers are, are going to tank also all right a reminder we'll do a little bit on warriors and mavs for tomorrow after we see their game but we're gonna actually get to that game right now, so it's been a pleasure talking to you today. Thanks so much for being a subscriber, and we'll be back tomorrow. Don't forget as well about the strategy stream: Cavs versus Wolves. That'll be a fun one. Talk to you all then.
1: At Bet three six five, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every
0: play—from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period, whatever the sport, whatever the moment.